Welcome to the Cherry Hill Sermon Podcast. The following message is part of a sermon series called The Blessing. Together we're learning the importance of giving the gift of unconditional love and acceptance. Thanks for joining us today. Did you receive the blessing from your parents? That's how Pastor Gary, who I called dad, started last Sunday as we started a series called The Blessing. And the question, of course, is, what do you mean, the blessing? And so he explained that the scriptures use this word bless or blessing uh, over 300 times in the Bible, depending on your translation, sometimes even more. And it's very much at the heart of scripture. It was even something Jesus experienced from the Heavenly Father when he came to earth. So this is something very important, and what we are calling this series, The Blessing, is based on something that 26 years ago, my dad, uh, back when we were at Outer Park, preached through after reading that book. He was so convinced that this was at the heart of what so many people are searching for and looking for, uh, and that God designed us to know the blessing. And so the question is, what do we mean, the blessing? If you want to read more, by the way, the book by Gary Smalley and John Trent, that's the title, The Blessing. And so we just decided to keep that similar title. But also, if you go to theblessing.com, there's a website that's not been updated for about four years, but it still has some valuable uh, things that you can look at or read if you're interested. So the question naturally becomes, what's the blessing? If you're following along in the notes, here's what I hope you'll see is that the blessing is something that involves words and actions that convey affirmation. The blessing is simply words and actions that convey affirmation. And by that I mean is that the Bible uses the idea of the blessing in a formal sense in which one generation passes on the blessing to another, but it also uses it in an everyday sense to be a blessing in some way to someone else. And uh, here's a quote by Gary Smalley and John Trent that I found helpful. What is this blessing, this important act that no one can live well without? Here's one way to explain it. Words and actions that provide an indelible picture of affirmation in a person's mind and memory. In a simple way, the blessing is affirmation, acceptance, love that's genuine, that comes to us. It can be passed from one person to another. Therefore, while this series is definitely valuable to the family, it's definitely valuable for parents passing on the blessing to children. This series, the reason why I wanted to do this again is because I believe that this is a message for every person, whether you have children or not, whether you're married or not, whether you think of yourself as a person that could be a blessing to someone else or not. The good news is, is that even if you did not receive the blessing from your parents, and many of you were moved last Sunday when you heard that my dad did not then you, the good news is, is that in Christ, you can still know the blessing and pass on the blessing. Here's the series sentence that I hope we'll look at again and again. In Christ, 
God wants each of us to know the blessing so we can give the blessing. Do you mind reading that with me? In Christ, God wants each of us to know the blessing so we can give the blessing. If you're following along in the notes, I want you to see that God wants us to know the blessing so we can give the blessing. This isn't just about bless me so I can be blessed. That's important. But bless me so that I can be a blessing. God said to Abraham, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. And God wants us to be that. He wants us to pass on favor, compassion, kindness. And so uh, what we saw last week is that one of the things that Gary Smalley and John Trent point out in their book that I found helpful, that my dad found very helpful, is this. If you study the formal blessing that was practiced by Hebrew parents. There were five elements that the Bible lists. And so if you're following along, the Bible describes five elements when the blessing is given. The Bible describes five elements when the blessing is given. And you may say, like, what are they? Well, if you turn your notes over on the back, I've listed those. And uh, these are some of the five elements that you can see when, when parents were practicing giving the blessing to their children. And again, as I just said, this is not just for parents and children. This actually can be part of some of the things that we learn to do relationally if we're going to be a blessing to someone else. And so the first one is meaningful touch, which is what we're going to look at today. And you'll see that that's before spoken words, but expressing high value, picturing a special future, and an active commitment. And then there's something there at the bottom that we're going to come back to later in the service, later in the message. But I want to just talk with you about this first element today, about appropriate, meaningful touch. And as I bring this subject up, I can tell you that I'm a little nervous about doing it because it's a touchy subject. It's a very sensitive subject in our culture. Almost all the research shows that we are a touch-phobic culture. And yet, in a way, we're schizophrenic because there are such stories of sexual abuse and wrong and inappropriate behavior and touching that we are this country that on one hand is starving for it and on the other hand is absolutely scared of it. And so as we think about this, why do we need this message is because we're not a nation of huggers. We're not a nation of people that do that. And some of you actually are getting nervous right now thinking that the application of this message is make sure you hug 10 people before you leave today. That's not going to be the application. But listen, sociologist Sidney Duran studied the touch behavior of pairs of people in coffee shops around the world. The difference between cultures was staggering. In San Juan, Puerto Rico, people touched an, on an average 180 times per hour. Oh my goodness. In Paris, France, it was 110 times per hour. In Gainesville, Florida, two times per hour. And in London, England, zero times per hour. So we Americans are not really people that naturally, when this subject comes up, feel very adequate to learn on this subject. And so I don't know about you, but I have found that if our starting point is that awkward place, that by God's grace and by his touch in our lives, we can learn how to grow in appropriate, meaningful touch because friends, people all around us, ourselves included, are starving 
for the affirmation that can be conveyed this way. So I want to just ask if you'd pray with me, and then we're going to dive in. Now, Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look at this subject today, that we would see not only its practice in the Bible, but also the ways that we can understand practicing this as a church. And I ask God that wherever someone is starting today, that you would visit them, that you would touch them, and that as a result, they would begin to have the courage to move in a positive direction, however you show them to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at this here. By the way, I was thinking, I forgot to tell you this story. I was thinking about this pastor who was counseling this couple. And uh, it was really obvious that the wife was just saying, I just want him to touch me. Not necessarily a sexual way. I just need to be hugged. I need to be held more often. And so the pastor was saying to this husband, you need to do that at least three times a day. And the, the husband says, like, what do you mean? So the pastor came around, and he just hugged this guy's wife. Then he sat down, and he said, that's what you need to do three times a day. And still not getting it, the husband said, could you come by my house each day? Because I'm not sure I can get her over here that often. <laughs> See, this is, this is, sometimes it just takes us a while. But if you're following along, here's what I want you to see. Is something, meaning, appropriate meaningful touch, is something we all need as part of our human makeup. Appropriate meaningful touch is something we all need as part of our human makeup. You've probably heard this story, but there was a little girl one night in the middle of a thunderstorm that came into her parents' bedroom, and she curled up next to her dad, and her dad said to her, he said, honey, the Lord will protect you. The Lord's with you. And she said, I know, daddy, but right now I need someone with skin on. And what she was saying is this, is that while the Lord wants to work in our life, yes, he also has wired us in such a way that we also need the human touch of loved ones and trusted people in our lives. And therefore, it's a cry of our heart. It's the need of our heart. And again, in the Bible, clearly God models this and shows us that this is the appropriate way to pass on the blessing. When I was reading this week, I read this really sad story. Some of you know um, the movie icon Marilyn Monroe died of an, an overdose many years ago now and came from a very difficult situation. But a freelance reporter from the New York Times once interviewed Marilyn Monroe. The reporter was aware of Marilyn's painful past and the fact that during her early years, Marilyn had been shuffled from one foster home to another. The reporter asked Marilyn, did you ever feel loved by any of the foster families with whom you live? Once, Marilyn replied, when I was about seven or eight, the woman I was living with was putting on makeup and I was watching her. She was in a happy mood, so she reached over and patted my cheeks with her rouge puff. For that moment, I felt loved by her. Marilyn Monroe had tears in her eyes when she remembered this event. Why? The touch lasted only a few seconds and it happened years before. It was even done in a casual, playful way, not an attempt to communicate great warmth or meaning, but as small as an act as it was, it was like pouring buckets of love and security on the parched life of a little girl starved for affection. Why is touch so important? Because it can communicate compassion. It can communicate comfort. It can communicate uh, concern. 
It can communicate a sense of camaraderie, a sense of belonging. It can communicate an, a, a spirit of identification that I'm with you. And this is what God wants us to learn how to communicate with our hands as he works in our lives. But I want to make sure that I, I, I share some disclaimers and also show how the Bible talks about this. So let's keep moving. So if you're following along, the next thing I want you to see is that the Bible shows Hebrew parents giving it. Hebrew parents giving it. Now, I could mention several different things in there. I I list Genesis 27, where Isaac says to his son, Jacob, before he gives him the blessing, come near to me and kiss me. The words there literally mean, let me give you a bear hug. Let's hug, even though he was probably 40 years old by then. And a lot of times we think that, you know, the older a person gets, the less they need it. It's not true. It's not true. In fact, most studies reveal that most parents stop touching their children as often once they get far into elementary age. And so if that's the case, just notice that here the Bible shows that that you're never too old to do it, and men hugging men appropriately like this is just powerful. But the other thing I list there is when a grandfather... Jacob now is passing on the blessing to Joseph's sons, and you see it there, and uh, let me just ask you to read it with me there in the gray box from Genesis uh, 40, it's supposed to say 48, by the way. Let's read it. Then Israel said, bring them to me so that I may bless them. Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, and it goes on to say he put his left hand on Manasseh's head. And Israel was also the name God gave Jacob. And so we see this, that there's this touch, this putting on. And right before this, if you read this in Genesis 48, not 49, but if you read this, what you discover is, is that before he ever did that, he hugged and kissed these boys. Wow. Wow. Let me just stop for a second. While this message is for all of us, dads, granddads, Do you understand the power you possess? One of the things that's happening in our country is that because more and more men have become more and more distant and more and more reserved and more and more passive, more and more kids are growing up confused, looking for it in all the wrong places. We have, this is so important, and that's why the Bible shows us this isn't just for women. This is for men, strong men, grown men, in an appropriate way. Next thing I hope you see, though, is that we see Jesus touching children and adults. We see Jesus touching children and adults. Um, If you read this next line with me, it reminds us of a time in Jesus' ministry. Friends, I don't think any of us can fully appreciate how busy Jesus was. The Bible says at times the crowds nearly crushed him. The Bible says is that when people were touching him, he would say, who touched me? And the disciples thought he was, you know, cracking a joke. The busyness, the demands, as well as training his disciples, it was constant in those three years. So parents started bringing their kids to Jesus to bless them, and the disciples go, okay, we got to run reconnaissance here and protect them because these people aren't as important as some of the other miracles that he's doing and some of the important people that he needs to talk to and the crowds and all that. And the Bible says Jesus rebuked them, and he said, let the children come to me. 
The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And then let's read verse 16 in that second gray box out loud. And Jesus took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Do you see that? He took them in his arms. Picture this now. Placed his hands on them, where probably their heads, their shoulder. And then he blessed them. But it wasn't a separate thing so much as this was all about that. This was all about blessing them. Well, some of us have been studying this study in Luke, by the way. And so here's a verse from Luke 440 that we made our way past. And we mentioned it at the time, but maybe it's just good to see it again. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And let's read this next line together. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. We already know that Jesus could do drive-by healings. We already know that all he had to do was speak the word and a person would be healed. He didn't have to touch them. Why did he touch them? Because somehow he imparted to them more than just healing. He imparted to them a sense of compassion, a sense of, I see you. You matter to God. And something was going on that was powerful. I I don't think some of those people, those children, probably ever forgot being touched by Jesus. Would you? And so we see this going on. And then I want to just talk to you for just a little bit about what appropriate meaningful touch is and what it is not. First, appropriate meaningful touch is always considerate, respectful, and builds up. Appropriate meaningful touch is always considerate, respectful, and builds up. Some people say, if I was to practice appropriate meaningful touch, what would that look like? Well, first of all, I would say the context is always important. If you don't have any knowledge of someone, then you need to make sure that you're really, really careful about touching someone. And usually the safest places to touch anyone in our culture is the hand, the arm, or the shoulder. Anything beyond that is usually not appropriate at all unless you have an intimate relationship with that person that's biblical and appropriate in the first place. But again, we're thinking about this idea. And so when I was in seminary, I went to class with a number of uh, ladies who were also uh, studying and were learning how to be counselors and learning how to be pastors and other people like that. And one of the things that I saw that they told me is that some of them had been raped, some of them had been sexually molested. So I said to them, my goodness, as a pastor, obviously I'm interacting with a lot of different men and women in our church that have gone through things like that. What would you say to me? They say, well, one thing's for sure. Never touch someone unless you ask them first and ask in such a way that they have total permission to say no. So I have tried to make that my practice and obviously always in appropriate ways. That leads to this next thing about disclaimers. Notice this, is that it never shames, exploits, controls, or tears down a person. It never shames, exploits, controls, or tears down a person. Friends, when language starts getting used like this is just a secret between us, When this is, you better never tell someone or you'll be in trouble. That's not appropriate, ever, ever. That's controlling someone, that's manipulating someone, and it's going on way too often in our culture. It oftentimes is not only happens in families, but it even happens in churches. 
And some of you may have done something like this to someone else, and I want you to hear the good news this morning is that God can redeem that part of your life so that now you can be a blessing rather than a harmful person to someone else. But I also am saying, if something like that's going on, he is calling us to repent, he is calling us to call it what it is, and he's asking us to bring it out in the light and make that kind of stuff right with people as far as is possible with us, because the damage that it can do is unbelievable. The great power of meaningful touch is so huge in a positive way, and it can be so huge in a damaging way. But we want to be the kind of church that's learning how to give the blessing in a positive way. And Jeff and Annie, I just want to stop and say thank you for working with people who have been touched inappropriately and trying to help them now know the appropriate meaningful touch of Jesus. And so, again, he wants to redeem that. And, and our church wants to help you. If you were molested and now you're passing on that same behavior, friends, we want you to know the grace and touch of Jesus so that you can walk in a different direction. But notice this, that appropriate meaningful touch can greatly increase one's emotional and physical health. Some of you go, okay, let's... You know, <laughs> Jeff, are you guys like, okay, you pointed to some Bible verses, you talked about what it is and what it's not, but like, really, does it make any difference? Do you really realize all the research that's been done on this? It's unbelievable. Uh, friends, I, uh, there's a University of Illinois study, you'll love this, some of you guys that love sports. They've studied that if a team has lots of frequent warm touches as a team during the sporting events early on in the season the likelihood of them winning goes up. I was thinking about how much, as a Cardinals fan, I've come to admire how the Cubs are playing this year. I know it's hard for some of you guys to believe that I could say something like that publicly, but I've actually been watching both teams and enjoying it immensely. But here's one of the things I think that's happened since the Cubs got a new manager. They're touching each other more. In the dugout, they are pulling for each other more. There is a greater sense of camaraderie, and I think it's only up the factor. But I've watched Mike Matheny, who came to Springfield and spoke this past winter, and I'll tell you what, he regularly, every time a player comes back to the dugout, he gives them the knuckle or he pats them on the back. What is that about? Is that just a technique? No, it's an attitude that says we all need to be connected together like that. We all need the encouragement of that. And so there's something powerful about that. My dad used to tell about a hospital down in South America who offered orphans um, basic medical care, fed them three meals a day, and yet many of them were not developing properly. And many of them were getting sick and dying and they could not figure out, except on one ward of this hospital where all the kids were thriving. So they thought, what's the difference? They went and they found a lady who was volunteering, who was coming every week, several times a week. And she was holding the kids. She was loving and playing with them. And they thought, could this possibly be the difference? So they began to have other volunteers come to the other wards, and immediately, immediately, not only did the atmosphere change, but the children began to have the power to get better. Friends, people are starving for this, and not just infants and children, but all of us want to be in an atmosphere that's respectful, that's also encouraging and considerate, and proper boundaries are being practiced this way. But man, it's something incredible. 
Let me just stop and say this. When I was a boy, you heard my dad's testimony. My dad uh, grew up in a home that did not practice touching. When my dad went to college, he didn't shake hands. He didn't hug his parents. He walked out of the house and said goodbye. Because he was taught by his parents that you only touch people that you're married to and then only in private. And he was taught that it just wasn't. So he grew up in a non-touching environment. So that would have naturally been passed on to me. But he married my mom, whose family had experienced the opposite. And over time, as he began to experience from her parents a different approach, and as he became a pastor, he felt like Jesus was teaching him how to be a person who could reach out and touch. And as a result, I was thinking this week that when I was a teenager, I've often told you that I got away from the Lord for about a year and a half and started dating a girl who wasn't a Christian. It wasn't her fault. It was my disobedience. But I got away from the Lord. My parents were praying for me constantly. And one of the things I remember is that the night I broke up with her, because God really was showing me that we were not equally yoked and that I was leading her on and it was my fault. When I broke up with her, I'll never forget. In fact, I had this re... I remember my dad and my mom probably said, you need to go down. But my dad went down to my bedroom and sat on the bed next to me. And he held me while I cried. I'll never forget it. But my dad would tell you that wasn't natural to him. But he was willing to let God teach him how to do that. And there are many times after a service on Sunday that my dad will walk forward and just hug me. And that's sometimes all he does. Now, I'm only telling you that because some of you, you have a starting point like my dad. And you're trying to figure out what would it possibly look like. I'm so impaired by my background, I don't know what to do. God can work in your life. And I'm going to talk to you about that in just a few moments, how it can happen. One more thing before we talk about how to practice the blessing. I want you to see that, um, uh, you know what, I want to show you a video too. There's another guy in our church that once shared this at a men's retreat. His name's Barry Jensen. Watch this video right here where he talks about how he's applied this in his own life. About five or six years ago, when our youngest daughter was getting ready to transition into high school in those crazy years, my wife Lucy read an article about how important it was for fathers to reach out and hold their daughters every day to give them a 20-second hug. You know, we do that when they're young. We roughhouse, we play, we spend a lot of time holding them. But then uh, they grow up, they get busy, we get busy, and uh, we, we just have that level of touch uh, much less. So. There were many benefits that went with a 20-second hug, and so she encouraged us to do that, and we started doing it. Now, I'd be lying if I said that my daughter appreciated it every day because there were definitely days that she didn't, especially when she was on her way out the door, and I knew I wouldn't see her again that evening, and I would make her stand there while I silently counted off 20 seconds, um, and she'd be pulling away. But there were also many times that I knew she needed that hug, that she wanted it and appreciated it, and so did I. And so, in hindsight, looking back on that, uh, I would just say this to the fathers. If, uh, are you hugging your daughter every day? Are you holding her for 20 seconds? If not, maybe you should. I appreciate 
I appreciate Barry sharing that. And that's just, again, as you think about some of the applications that may be going through your mind, there's others. But notice one more thing in this section, that Jesus has come to touch the unloved with blessing. Jesus has come. That's why he came to earth in part, was to touch people's lives in a life-changing way. And probably one of the greatest accounts is found here, if you look up here on the screen, Luke 5, 12 through 13, he hugs this most unlikely person. While Jesus was in one of the towns, this is also in the Gospel of Luke we've been studying, a man came along who was covered with leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. They were made uh, to at least 100 feet away, 50 feet away, begin to scream, unclean, unclean, so people could clear the road. And this man was covered with leprosy, chewing away his skin. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Let me stop for a second. Before he ever speaks to him, before he ever heals him, what does he do first? Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. This man hadn't been touched in years and said, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. What a savior. One of the things I love about this church family is many of you have begun to understand that Jesus has touched you so that you can touch people that might never be touched, that are so unlovely in the eyes of the world, that are so unloved in their own experience, and yet he wants you to be one of the people that might touch them in an appropriate, meaningful way. And so as we talk talk about practicing this, let me just bring this home. I want you to know the reason we're doing this blessing series is not to create self-pity about our past. It can happen. All of us can go, man, I just got robbed, and there's nothing wrong with grieving that. But don't let it turn into self-pity. Don't let it paralyze you completely because you still have an option. You still have a choice. And so without self-pity, determine my starting point with touch. Without self-pity, determine my starting point with touch. What do I mean? If you turn your notes over on the back, I told you we'd come back to this lower section. In this lower section, I felt like it might help you if you just see these lines there. The first one is my family experience. Now, you don't have to mark it, especially if you're uncomfortable with someone sitting next to you, but I want you to picture in your mind, where would you put the X? So if you look at your family experience... Again, some of you grew up in foster homes. Some of you grew up as orphans. Some of you grew up in different situations like that. But as you think about your family background experience, would, did you experience destructive touch? Did you have more what you knew about no physical touch? Like my dad, did you experience healthy physical touch? And if so, how often? And you can put that X anywhere in there. That kind of helps you kind of go, what have I experienced? Because here's what I want to say to you so badly. Be patient with yourself. Be gracious with yourself. If you didn't experience with this, God is not saying that you should be an expert at this if this was not your experience, but he is saying, I want to work in your life in ways that maybe you've never realized. I want to redeem your past. I'm that kind of savior. And then I want you to see my own practice and, and then think about this, your own practice, what would it be? Like right now, would your loved ones say, you're practicing destructive touch often or way too often in our family? Would they say that you're a person that's so neglectful of physical touch 
that they don't experience it from you? Or would they say that they're experiencing at least some measure of healthy physical touch, and if so, how much? It's just a way of knowing, where am I? Where have I come from? What am I used to? What, what, where, where would it look like if God was to work in my life? And I want you to know that God wants to touch your life. He really does. And so if you turn the notes back over, and I will ask you to keep the notes out even when we finish the last line, if that'd be okay. But ask God, who and how can I affirm with appropriate touch? Who and how can I affirm with appropriate touch? And I would just say this. If you're wondering if it's somebody that, like, you know, that's way out there, I'm not necessarily sure that's the best place for every person to start. Can I tell you how the application worked for me this week? The Lord just seemed to show me that I'd stopped holding my wife or kissing her goodbye when I would come home or leave that sometimes I just was comfortable, just so busy and so tuned in to my own schedule. And I realized that what my wife needs from me 34 years after marriage is still the same, hasn't changed, but I wasn't doing it. And so the Lord just said, Trisha is the who, and the how isn't necessarily some dramatic, here I am, you know, kind of thing, but just, just stop and say, hey, I love you, and go. And sometimes we might do that with family members or friends or people that we have a trust-filled relationship with or some measure of knowledge, and it may just be that. And so who's the how and the how? The next thing I want you to see, and this is the last thing, is I just want us to end this service today that if you have never experienced appropriate meaningful touch very much in your life, and you know you need it, but at the same time, you know you can't give it if you haven't experienced it. Or if you have come to a place where you realize you've just considered this not an important issue, you just don't even think it's important practice, then here's what I'd like for us to do as a church is to cry out to Jesus this prayer. Please touch me, then teach me to pass it on. Please touch me, then teach me to pass it on. I told you that I experienced some healthy touch. But when Trish and I were first married, we were at a church up in Wheaton. And there in Wheaton, one, uh, the first nine, 12 months of marriage, I was so confused about what I was going to do with my life. I didn't know I was going to be a pastor. And I was, as a guy, really, really out of sorts. And there was a man in our church who he and his wife had gone through some devastating loss of three children in their life. And so I knew this guy had a tender heart. He worked with the special needs kids in our church, but he was one of our elders. And so in those days when the communion was done being served, the elders would all march back down the center aisle. And I was just, I had my head bowed as I was finishing communion. And I'll never forget this. As he walked by, I don't know what he saw. I don't know if he was prompted by the Lord, but he just touched my shoulder. He didn't touch the person in front of me or the person behind. He just touched my shoulder. It was more of a brush. And that moment, Jesus touched me. And it doesn't always happen, but what if we were to be a church that said, God, take these hands. Let me be a blessing. Let me be a blessing. So let's take time to cry out to Jesus in this space.